hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined as usual by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for episode 110, Drew and I are finding our way back to Robert Jackson Bennett once again, this time with his Divine Cities trilogy, starting with the first nine chapters of City of Stairs. Drew, kindly tell us what happened in the first half of this book. Yeah, and uh, before I get to the actual synopsis, um, this is a uh, uh, a Patreon requested. Oh yes, I forgot uh, to mention that series. Um, we yeah, we had not originally planned on <laughs> uh, covering the Divine Cities, at, at least not for a long time. Um, but we we have had. Uh, you know, I mean, we've had Robert Jackson Bennett on the radar, I would say, uh, you know, ever since Foundry side. Yeah, especially but Shortfall. Was... Yeah, once I read Shortfall, uh, Shortfall, listen to me, Shortfall, I was like, whoa, okay, we have to do this guy some other time in the future. Yeah, yeah. I I think it was um, Matthew Alexander uh, on Patreon requested this one. What's up, Matt? Thank um, you for the suggestion. Yeah. Thank you for the subscription. Yeah. In fact, I okay. I just went and looked at Patreon, and our our uh, amount went up. So that's always fun. Oh, nice. Um, I'll link to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. So so this book is an urban fantasy. Uh, you know, kind of a I'd say like an early 1900s kind of tech. We've got cars and cameras and guns and trains and Gas things. Stoves. But there's yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there's um, not widespread electricity or airplanes yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that that's coming along pretty soon here. But, uh, but yeah, and it, it starts off on. Is that the cat? Did the kitty? That that was the cat. That was the kitty. knocking off a water bottle. Anyway, so this starts off uh, on the continent, as it is referred to, uh, the home of the Divine Cities, where once upon a time, six gods kind of created civilizations and uh, and filled the world with miracles and saints and wondrous creatures and everything. And as part of their expansion, they and their followers conquered uh, the... The uh, land across the sea called Sapur and enslaved the Sapuri until one Sapuri leader figured out a way to kill the gods. And we had some some pretty nasty history where uh, the Kaj, as, as his title was, uh, killed a god on Sapuri land and then sailed an army across the ocean and attacked the continent and got rid of the rest of the gods, and now the Sepuri are colonial governors of the continent. And this story takes place in, oh my gosh, Bulikov? Bulikov, yeah. Some of, or, yeah, yeah, some of the, uh, um, uh, some of the names that, that I get to, I may be mangling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll, but it, that'll it, it starts off with a Sepuri professor who is studying the forbidden history and religion of the gods uh, gets murdered. And a very special uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs member named Ashara Komade, who is our main character, 
arrives in town to investigate his death. And she comes with her secretary and bodyguard, Sigred, and she finds herself embroiled in a uh, a conspiracy, for sure, that involves her ex-boyfriend, uh, Vohanis, or Vo, um, and, and she discovers that the gods may not be as dead as she thought. So, where we're left off at the end of chapter 9, she's gotten a couple of leads and, uh, and is still working to investigate them. She has survived an assassination attempt. She has had an encounter with a god uh, and, and has, has had to kind of jockey in position with her, her ex-boyfriend, who is now one of the city fathers of Bulakov, and is trying to figure out what the hell to do next. Yeah. So... Okay, so jumping straight into style, as we normally do, I um, want to get your thoughts on this opening courtroom scene, because... No, actually, before I continue, I just want to ask what you thought. Um, so I... Uh, I have enjoyed it so far. It, uh... It is more of a slow burn than I was expecting, after having read, you know, Foundry Side and Shorefall. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does have or it strikes me as a, a book with higher aspirations than the Founders trilogy. Uh, Robert Jackson Bennett is making a point. You know, like it, like straight out of the gate, this is very clearly a post-colonial criticism story. And uh, and, and so we, we get a little bit of um, a good dynamic with that kind of criticism because we're viewing it through the lens of the colonials or, or the colonialists I should say like we're through the people in charge and they are discovering and and dealing with the the intricacies and problems that arise from having colonialized the continent um and the courtroom scene at the very beginning is, I think, was pretty effective. Uh, it, it did a great job of establishing a scene and, and a setting, uh, giving us the pertinent information about the dynamics of this colonial situation, how the, uh, you know, the people of the continent have been repressed, they're forbidden from, you know, worshipping their gods, they're forbidden from even you know, studying their history or mentioning the gods, mentioning their religions. Uh, but we also see in this scene that some of the, you know, colonial governing body are pretty incompetent, are, are, uh, corrupt or at least like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe not corrupt, but, or and not spoiled either, but, but, Oh, the words on the tip of my tongue. They're... Oh, I think I had it as well for half a second. Oh my god, I was about to say it. Oh, this is going to kill me. Uh, but but that kind of idea, right? They they have grown fat and lazy and complacent in their roles as rulers. And they they have gotten to the point where they, they're not taking things very seriously even as the city that they're governing is literally crumbling, it's filled with the destitute and the poor, the, the, everybody's angry, everybody's downtrodden, 
and this tenuous balance they've found in their rulership is fracturing. Was that word right? blasé? Ooh, yeah, I, I could, I could go with blasé. Cool. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. It occurred to me halfway through that, and I was going to wait. Um, the the reason I asked about it. That courtroom scene um, is because I was mm-hmm. honestly myself. I was gritting my teeth through that whole intro. And for those who don't already know, uh, perhaps you're just listening to the podcast for the first time because we're covering these books, or maybe I just haven't been obnoxious enough in the past to set the precedence. But <laughs> Rob hates politics. I, I hate politics. And this was from first word to last, nothing but politics. The number of names and affiliations and societies that I had thrown at me in the first few pages. I wrote was more than overwhelming and this was for me personally again this next part is going to be pretty subjective this was exasper- uh, exasperated by the fact that exacerbated Jesus I was exasperated <laughs> in turn by the fact that I was reading for my own first time ever an entire book written in present tense so suffice yeah. it to say that I sent Drew a message immediately following reading this scene saying something like dude this is killing I don't know if I can get through this <laughs> but the yeah uh, yeah Oh, sorry, go ahead. The present tense is definitely something to get used to. Um, I, I have read books in present tense before. Most of them have been first-person present tense. Mm-hmm. This is not. And and he does an interesting thing where he has these like in-flow flashbacks... Where he, he doesn't, you know, do a flashback in italics the way, you know, some authors may do. He doesn't separate the flashbacks out into their own chapters. He just has them in the flow of the, you know, narrative consciousness of the character, but changes to past tense. And that took me a little bit to to grapple with as well, where I, I was like, um, you know, right when I'm kind of getting used to the present tense and getting to the point where I'm not noticing it anymore, I'm just, you know, reading and getting in that flow, suddenly, boom, past tense again. I'm like, whoa, you know, and and uh, it, so the actual writing style of this was jarring for me at yeah, first. Okay. I wrote down jarring as well. That's one of the words I used. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think by the point I'm at now, you know, at the end of chapter nine, beginning of chapter 10. I'm used to it enough that it's not bothering me. Right. Uh, and, and especially because in the last couple chapters, the pace picked up a lot more. And I think present tense works best with a fast paced book. Uh, it's, it, it's, it brings along this immediacy, right? You know, it, it puts you in the moment. And when the moment isn't, moving <laughs> very quickly it it's it's kind of strange for me like thinking about like why is this in present tense why did the author choose to write the book this way and i i don't think i have an answer to that yet like i i really don't understand the stylistic choice to write this book in present tense cuz i don't think it would lose anything by going you know in more traditional like third-person limited past tense. Yeah. Um, so the astute listener will notice during my, my minute-long rant that I had there, though, that I was even I, I was myself using past tense when grumbling about those parts of the style because for me, for the most part, I've started to come around. Um, 
it, it's it's an acquired taste. I'm sure I'm going to become more comfortable with it going forward. I'm already halfway there. I, I'm starting to forget mm-hmm. that it's there now. But it was, it was just difficult for me. Again, that's why I said it was subjective at the beginning. It was difficult for me personally to get into it because I just have a limited experience of these, with this kind of thing. Um, now... I, I do st- I do still feel like I'm going to enjoy this book, but you know, according to my ebook, we're 44 percent of the way through the first book, and this again for us is the first time through this first book. But yeah, just I I have to draw that point that throwing politics at me in the present tense style <laughs> at the same time with such a lengthy scene and so many societies and names and affiliations, it it almost lost me. But I'm on board. Yeah, I'm totally. On board. I I did I did wonder you know as I was reading the beginning of this. Because it struck me as similar, in some ways, uh, similar to A Memory Called Empire. And I remember you struggled with the first half of that book before enjoying the second half. Oh, we'll be referring to A Memory Called Empire later. Yes, we will. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I was wondering if that was going to be the case here. Uh, Although I think this already is more, um, like, action-oriented than... Uh, a memory called Empire. I agree. Uh, in, interestingly, I, I, I want to point it out. Interestingly, I went back and looked. There is an assassination attempt on uh, that wasn't necessarily targeted at the main character, but rather at a, a character ancillary to the main character, but that puts the main character in danger at almost the exact like point in the book in both A Memory Called Empire and in... City of Stairs. Yes, yes. I will be talking more about this when we get to my points on Sharo. Um, yeah. I did want to just point a couple of uh, specific moments that I was talking about, like very specific beats that almost lost me. There was one point where we were introduced to Nadean, and the, the, the line goes, it, it reads, Nadean, she finds, is not an unusual embassy officer in that he is snotty, dismissive, and self-important. However, he is also the embassy's public affairs representative. And I'm just going, oh my god, I don't <laughs> care. The police made a, con- a concerted effort to become a financial player in the world, part of the new Bulakov movement, which has had a bit of backlash lately since some people are interpreting it as modernization. I actually stopped to write that one down and go, oh god. These, I just... <laughs> This is a very personal thing. I don't want to use it to condemn the author at all. I, I, I still have lots more to, to compliment him on, much more to compliment him on as we go forward. But pretty much my entire style point, all the things that really I didn't like were style-oriented, so you're just going to get an undue you know, concentration of them here. The rest of the episode, I'm going to be complimenting the guy. I promise. I promise. But I still have a little more bitching to do. Anything else you want to yeah. talk about style-wise <laughs> before I jump into my next point, though? Um... Yeah. So, uh, again, I'm going to compare back to Foundryside, or I guess I should say forward to Foundryside, because this was True. published before the Foundry before, yep. Um But it, it is shocking to me. Like, when I started reading this book, I if I didn't know that, you know, if I didn't have Robert Jackson Bennett right there on the cover, I would not have ever guessed that it was the same author as the one who wrote Fadricide and Shorefall. The, the, um, the emphasis on these long, chunky paragraphs, um, there's a, an austerity to the language he uses in this book that is nothing at all like the language in, in Fadricide. The, uh, even the, kind of expletives the characters use are are 
really like sterilized, sanitized, you know, like by the seas, you know, versus the language characters use in uh, in Foundry Side, where even when they're even when they're not using real word curses, they're using words that feel like curse words. In this, it's like nobody curses. People just have like oaths that they exclaim, right? It, it's like the difference nowadays of like, uh, you know, something shocking happens, and it's the difference between me saying "oh" f-, or me saying "what the hell," you know? Yeah, like like there's there's this like degree of colorful language in foundry side that is not here and i think it it kind of works in a way this is a dreary world this is a gray world the setting we're in in bulakov it's cold it's dark it's wet it's miserable you know people are starving very different from the setting in in the founders trilogy and and so the language i think reflects that or enhances it that that helps bring home just how harsh and, and and gray this setting is the only times we get like bits of color coming through are the times that bennett pauses to describe the wall and the rising sun or the setting sun it's the only time we really get a sense of color in the world and and I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I I think it it really works with this, you know, uh, mysterious like crime solving narrative. It, it's I'm not going to say this is noir or a hard boiled detective story because it doesn't have those same uh, like story beats or tropes going on. But it is s- similar. It's at least adjacent to to like a, a noir feel to it. And and so it makes sense that the world would be dark and and, and dreary. Yeah, I want to talk about it. Oh, sorry. Uh, sounded like you're going to continue there. Or were you clearing your throat? No, I, no I was just like laughing because I realized I just went on like a <laughs> I don't know like three minute rant. That's okay. I was I have you really low on my headset so that you don't get picked up by the mic. So sometimes I just gotta ask you to repeat yourself here. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay, so I want to talk about his pros, and I have. A few little grumbles and a lot of compliments, most of which I'll actually get to in my miscellaneous, so it's still going to be just bitching from here on out, but I I promise it gets better. Um, There were (laughs) a few awkward sentences here and there I noticed, and I'm pretty sure you probably would have noticed as well, where the pros kind of stumble, or maybe it just feels like he fumbles it a tiny bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'll admit, honestly, I think it's just because Bennett is really attempting a pretty elegant dance with that prose, and he does pull it off more often than not. Um... But I'll start with a couple of the awkward moments. Points where we, where we get, and I quote, He seems to chuckle, but Shara doesn't even bother to try to pretend. I mean, speaking of simply just of narrative efficiency, like that would have read exactly the same as Shara didn't even bother to pretend. But what yeah. we got was doesn't even bother to try to pretend. It's, it's I felt like it's a little awkward. Another one. Do you want us yeah, to nail like, it shut now? Asks the foreman. He and his three employees do not try to bother to hide their impatience. Again, we give, we've got these all over the place. Does not, like, do not bother to hide their impatience would have worked. But we got, do not try to bother to hide their impatience. It just felt a little clumsy. What do you think? Did you notice these? Yeah, 
I, I did notice a few of those. I actually didn't have a problem with the first one you brought up because I thought that was kind of telling in regards to Shara's character Could be. that she that she feels like you know she was in such a a, a state of like turmoil and and like emotional upheaval that she even had she tried to pretend she wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, and so she's like, I'm not even going to bother doesn't, trying doesn't even to do attempt this. to pretend. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that that could be it. I considered yeah. it, but I don't know if I was but, ready to buy it when I, especially when right. I got to the there second are, one. I was like, mm. yeah. There are other examples of this kind of construction. That's like, all right, like this isn't there to like serve as a, you know a window into Shara's state right now. Like this is just kind of revealing itself as a style tick of Bennett's at the time I do think that he so. wrote this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another, another, uh, moment where I stopped and went, is that really how, how we meant to say that? There is, uh, Mulagesh, or I should say, I, it's she, she is drenched in sweat, which runs in beads down her immensely large and immensely brown shoulders. I stopped and I, and I wrote, I was like, how can something be immensely brown? Y- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, these just kind of. This, they seem like the kind of thing that maybe an editor should have caught. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to want to go on to, to, to positive stuff now because I'm tired of bitching. I don't want anybody to listen to this and think that Rob okay. didn't like this book or isn't liking this book up to the halfway point because I do. Um, there's a lot of rhythm, lyricism, and similes that I liked. Like a lot of his prose is just yeah. shining. Um, powerful bit of writing during the introduction of Petrie. Petrie, I think it is, right? P-I-T-R-Y? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I I, I pronounce it Petrie. Petrie? Well, you know, I'm thinking it may be Petrie because of the Russian influence. Anyway, anyway, I'm just going to continue. Yeah. Um, the city knows. It remembers. Its past is written in its bones, though the past now speaks in silences. Petrie shivers in the cold. Boom. Yeah. Like, these are the moments I'm going, wow. Okay, so I see. This isn't a bad writer at all. This is a very good writer who just hasn't perhaps perfected his craft yet but then there's that that kind of lends it this feeling of rawness that honestly and i was thinking while i was writing these notes might warrant its own sort of episode if we were to do sometime you and me drew just like focusing on the earliest works of the greatest writers like sanderson wolf rothfuss that'd be pretty cool right and i would probably would have added bennett to that list maybe like a few more names down there but after reading especially shorefall i think it'd be interesting it would be really, it, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Like, if we do, yeah, like Operation Ares by Gene Wolfe and... Uh, Dragonsteel Pro- like, oh, Dragon Prime, Wave Kings Prime by Sanderson, something like that. Like, just or, talk about the other styles. Uh, or Ether of Night or something oh, yeah. like that. Oh, yeah! Or then, just the White Sand then, like, uh, do do, like, the Swordbearer or... Um, the first Dread Empire book by Glenn Cook or, you know, something, <laughs> something super old school from Yeah, Cook. yeah, that's like, I mean, I don't Shadow know really line. how we'd structure that and how we'd even point that in that direction, yeah. but it was just like a, a nebulous concept that came to me while I was writing this, so I figured I'd throw it at you here live on the air, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is worth pointing out, you know, we've covered um, a number of books by a couple different authors now. And and the first book we ever covered, of course, was Elantris, which is Brandon Sanderson's first published novel. And we talked fairly extensively on that episode about, you know, the 
the issues he had back then as a writer, the things that he was not as good at then as he is now. And this is definitely a, you know, an opportunity with Bennett, but it's also tough to do uh, in, in this situation simply because Elantris is more or less the same kind of book as the rest of the Cosmere, right? City of Stairs is a very different kind of book from Foundry Side, from Shorefall. And so it's like, yeah, we can dig into some things, but Bennett is doing something very different here. And and so it's not as easy as just making like a one-to-one comparison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I just I would just like to see how our like our favorite authors really did start and just kind of like trade you know uh, stylistic impressions. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh, I I do have one more bit of grumbling actually to get out of the way. I don't know why I put I put this one <laughs> in the wrong on the wrong side of the page here. Um, I'm just a bit put out by the level of predictability. Several things are there are or at least I should say seem to be in this book. There are certain narrative twists or revelations that you just know are coming because the formula kind of demands it, and. Uh, Bennett really isn't subtle yet about laying down that foreshadowing. I've got a couple examples here. I actually have three. Number one, as soon as we get the introduction point of view from Petrie, as he waits at the station, he's wondering about this diplomat that he's about to be meeting. Yeah. And there are about five too many musings as to his temperament and his job title and what he's going to be like. The train wasn't even rolling into the station yet when I was already thinking, ah, okay, diplomat's going to be a she. Obviously. And sure enough, Train rolls in, and then we meet the giant Sigrid, who for a moment I was allowing myself to dare hope maybe he was the diplomat, and I would have laughed at having my own expectations so neatly subverted. But no, out from behind him steps this dainty girl, and I'm like, damn it, <laughs> I was so close. Yeah, yeah. Anything yeah, else you found like sort of predictable before I list another one? No, you're 100% right. I mean, that entire scene, I was like, obviously it's going to be somebody not physically imposing, probably a woman. Uh, it's it's also going to be somebody who's not just a cultural ambassador. This is clearly, like, you know, somebody very, very important who's about to show up and just, like, lay down, you know, the law on on. I didn't even consider that part of it. Damn. Um, yeah. And, and I have to say, like, look, we covered Foundry Side. Mm-hmm. We also thought that book was pretty predictable. We did. <laughs> we nailed almost every single prediction we had. Coming out of the first half. But by the end of the episode, we were saying, you know what? That really didn't detract from the book at all. No, and and I have to say, halfway through this book, I do not have the confidence in what's going to happen uh, in the second half of this book that I did with Foundryside. Part of that is because Foundryside had a, a pretty clear, like, end goal yes and like yes you know they it it was obvious early on like where this is all heading this book is much less obvious in part because it is a mystery whereas foundry side is not a mystery at at its core Mm. you know like the foundry side um structure was not built around a burning investigation you know it was like no, this is a this is a heist story, right? It's like how the the mystery here is like how are they going to break in and 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 do what they need to do? The mystery isn't like it is in this book. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, my next thing that I found pretty predictable. Oh, she thinks. I badly hope he did not, or she did not say what I think she said. I'm sorry, says Shara, but which family is it? Votrov, why? Shara slowly sits back in her chair, well, at this point, and she asks, his name, his first name? Yeah? Would it happen to be Vohanis? At this point, I legitimately stopped, opened my phone, or the note file on my phone, I said, I should say, to write, ah, uh, let me guess, this is a past romantic interest of hers, isn't it? One paragraph later, <laughs> the words come crashing back down on her as if it had been only yesterday. If you were to come with mm. me to my home, I'd make you a princess, he'd said to her when she saw him last. Ah, I, I saw that coming from one paragraph right before it. I was like, no, it's just, again, predictable. I was like, no, a little more. I wish I'd been, like, subverted a little more. That's all. Mm -hmm. Number yeah, three. I mean... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. Last one. I wasn't going to add anything important. Our first introduction to Avanya, I think her name was, when we got the description of her youth and her high cheekbones, I thought, okay, so this is literally, I think, literally the first young woman we've met by name since our main character. Surely she's not going to be like an antagonist of some sort. Surely she's not going to be like a romantic interest for Voltrov, perhaps. Bennett's not, he's not that predictable. <laughs> But then she starts making out with Voltrav as soon as she sees him. And I was like, oh, God, I saw that one coming, too. I see every one of these little beats coming half a page before it happens. I don't know. Uh, I'm doing too much bitching. I like I like this book. I do. Let me prove why. Let me prove why. And, and end my style discussion, because everything going forward, I think, is positive. Drew? Uh, no, go for it. Okay. Characters? Sure. Cool. Okay. Uh, we have to start with our main character, Shara, yes? Uh, hell yeah. Give me what you think. I, I like Shara. Um, she's... Oh. Have a thing. She's familiar enough that, like, it's easy for me to kind of, like, get in her head. She's a similar enough character to others, uh, I've read before. But she she has enough like uh like of a spark to her to make her fun. Uh I I like the way she's stuck in this like kind of tug of war internally between the historian and the and the ministry official. Uh how she is more inclined to telling the truth, but lives in a role that Forces her to lie constantly. Uh, but most of all, I love that she's just like a like take no shit, speak her mind kind of person. You know? She? The, Are you sure you're not confusing her with Mulagesh? <laughs> Shara? Yeah, I know. I'm just like, that sounds like like you just described that last 10 seconds we're describing a, like Mulagesh because that's what I was going to say mm. about her. Shard? I don't know. I mean, Mulagesh is pretty two-dimensional, I think. Ah, she's she's just like, gotcha. you know, ex-military forced to be in, gotcha. a, in okay. a political I role. I feel you. I feel you. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I like that Shara has to find her own ways to do things in and, like, assuage her conscience while she's doing it, right? Like... It, she has this fascination with, with history and knowledge and education that she can't live up to in her role as, you know, a, a foreign official. 
it's it's fun. Yeah. Okay. So Shara is a character that I was immediately interested in as soon as we got her first point of view, but I never really got more interested, like, or I should say, more invested in, to be more accurate. After that, like, as soon as we got the internal thought about being an operative, I was like, ooh, ooh, tension, danger. Now I am game. Mm-hmm. But she hasn't really drawn me in any more than that since then. Like, as of the halfway point of this book, I'm not particularly interested in her past, like, really at all. I know there are some dangerous and possibly heartbreaking secrets there. That's why she can't return home, or at least the, cir- the circumstances surrounding that. But on paper, I mean, she's she's born a child of privilege. She doesn't really have any particular character traits that draw me in. So for now, I'm just like, meh. You know, she's all right, I guess. I, I definitely don't dislike her. But she just, I, f- I feel like she's a little plain besides other characters like Sigrid and Mulagesh and even Vo. I think those are all more engaging for me. I, I mean, Sigrid I like a lot because there's a ton of mystery around him. We we got a little more information about the Drailings. You know, we got that song uh, as one of the chapter epigraphs. Oh, which we didn't even talk about the chapter epigraphs. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so they're epigraphs. But, like I couldn't tell if with my ebook if they were at the beginnings yeah. or the ends of the chapters. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe it's the beginning of the chapter. Um, but he's he's got the like fascination of the unknown, especially because clearly he's got something like supernatural going on with this fighting <laughs> yeah. skill. Yeah. Um, we we got a little bit of a hint, you know, when she was when Char was telling the story of. Um, uh, Kol- Kolkan, the, oh, the like judgment yeah. god, and and how there was this like torture stone that was used, and and when she's talking about it, Sigurd is like yeah, flexing his fist. His That's the second hand. time. There was yeah. another time before that when yeah. something was mentioned, and the leather from his fist just like creaked mm-hmm. together, and I was like, oh, something yeah, so struck like, a nerve. We're getting these little hints about like, all right, what his deal is. But we're not getting answers, and so that makes him a fascinating oh my character. Mulagesh, um, though, I don't know. Like she, she felt very straightforward to me. I wasn't wasn't super interested in her. Uh, Vo, yeah, I, I like Vo. He's, um, ooh, I'm trying to think of a good example of like a character he reminds me of. Uh, well, you. You haven't read the series yet. We'll we'll probably have to cover it at some point on the podcast, but the Darkness series by Harry Turtledove. I can't um, even say I've heard of this one. Yeah, it's a it's a World War Two retelling in a fantasy world. Whoa. Uh like, you know, secondary world, it's not on Earth. It's, you know, like different geography, different nations, everything, but it is like a a retelling of the broad strokes. Hmm. Of what happened in World War II. There's six books. Each book covers a year of the war. Blah, blah, blah. But he reminds me. Vo reminds me of a character in that named Viscount Valnu. And, uh, you know, also bisexual. Um, throws parties. Appears very frivolous. But is, in fact, a shrewd uh, businessman. And is doing other things under the table. Uh, in his own way, dealing with the uh, occupation of his country, uh, Viscount Valnu is a member of the like French analog, oh. Um, oh. yeah, the that country in in the Darkness series. Nice. But, um, but yeah, he reminds me a lot uh, of of Valnu. Hmm. Um. So you you really quickly just like 
breezed through like three or four different characters there that I had whole sections of notes on. Do you still want to talk about oh, them one at a time? Oh, absolutely, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, so my last point on Shara then. I, mm-hmm. I promised I would I would talk about this again earlier in this episode. I said I'd bring it up. I will say she strongly reminds me of another character in another series that we covered closer to the beginning of the podcast. Shara is a young woman in a foreign city. They're on diplomatic relations to fill in for her male predecessor. A predecessor. I can't speak today. Predecessor who has died under mysterious circumstances. And she finds herself in the thick of several open and hidden factions at war with one another. Remind you of anyone? Hmm. Perhaps Mahit Desmarais. Yeah, I think she she reminds me of Mahit from a memory called Empire. Yeah. <laughs> quite strongly, quite strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. That's for sure. But hey, I'm not writing that character off. She could still really, really attract my uh, yeah. interest. Later. And look, I like Mahit too. So hey, yeah, <laughs> I remember coming out of a memory called Empire with a lot of great I, memories. I, well, I, I will say the word, but. Shara, Shara is different from Mahit in, in the sense, like, she is a seasoned veteran in her own way. Mahit was very much a, a green rookie, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, Shara comes with a level of competence that that Mahit doesn't. This isn't a coming-of-age, discover-yourself kind of story the way uh, A Memory Called Empire is. Right, um, yeah. It was just like the premise of the character some, felt similar. Yeah, story beats that, that match, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I still want to talk more about Sigrid. Sigrid? Sigrid? I'm just pronouncing it Sigrid. Um, and this yeah. will probably come as a surprise to absolutely no one who knows me, but Sigrid is the principal driving factor for my interest in these books so far. He's so mysterious. <sighs> He's so menacing. He's, I mean, at times outright comical when you consider him trying to navigate the social elite parties and circumstances around him. <laughs> and obviously... The scene, <laughs> the attack on the party, just oh yeah, wow, what a character! I am, I am more interested in this guy than I am in Shara, Mulagesh, <laughs> Bo, Ephraim, and the rest combined. I I can't like not laugh at the mental image of him just like ripping a chandelier out of the ceiling, yep. just like wailing on some yep. dude. For me, it's like him in a giant red suit in a, in like a hat trying to light a pipe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with like mm-hmm. some old cougar hitting on him, or at least borderline hitting on him. Oh man! It yeah, was, yeah. It was. Uh, I I also got a crack out of uh, the scene when he's in jail and Shara comes to let him out, and she gives him his instructions. He's like, "Oh, contact the your, your contractors. Go spy. Meet me here at this time." And and he, and he just like sits there and he like thinks it through, and he's yeah. like, <sighs> and she knows that the reason he's sighing is because he can't think of anything better to do with his time until then. <laughs> <laughs> He has to at least make the. Yeah, he has to at least act like it. I did like that. He's got some personality. I was expecting him to be like a total statue and just have like an awesome past, maybe. But th- he has come alive a little more than I was expecting, and I I love every bit of it. Yeah, yeah. And I have a very particular he's... prediction to make about him later in the episode. Ooh, okay, uh, he's he's one of those characters who would fit in great with the Black Company. Oh, like, Sigrid, yeah, yeah. He's got that like quiet sense of humor. Uh, but but like you know a taciturn kind of outward demeanor, but you know very very willing to get the job done, very effective when he sets about <laughs> doing it. Uh, yeah, cool. Anything about Sigurd before I agree a lot with what you said about Mulagesh? Um, no, I think I'm done with Sigurd for now. I really hope I'm also pronouncing that correct, like a lot more of these correctly than I feel like I am, because. I just realized I wrote Mulagesh down once in my notes, and I would have copied that first that first time with every successive 
writing. So for all I know, I could be butchering a lot of these names. But Mulagesh. I don't like Mulagesh. And on several past episodes, I've groused that I don't like characters, but, uh, like, it's not to say they're written poorly. In fact, a lot of the times I don't like them, but I admit that they are written well, and it's just a flavor I don't like. Mulagesh is kind of, for me, the opposite of that. Exactly the opposite. On paper, if you'll forgive the expression, I should love this character. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows, and Drew, you really do know, you know, I'm yeah. not a particularly reserved or even polite person at times. I have a filthy mouth, though I am working <laughs> on that. I have a very strong and often <laughs> conflagratory opinion about many things, you know. Mulagesh could be a character that resonates with me. She should be a character that resonates with me, but she's just... I don't like the way she's written. Take our first introduction to her. Right off the bat, we get our first curse word of the book out of her. And then the second. And then the third. And then the fourth. Fifth. Sixth. It just, it's etc. That alone is not a huge deal, though I was already thinking to myself, mm, kind of playing it a bit heavy-handed with this character, aren't we, Bennett? <laughs> then the woman just snorts, hawks, and spits into a trash can. And she pulls out a cigarette and she's smoking it. I was asking myself... How is this the same writer that introduced Ephraim with that beautifully written passage that I'm going to be talking about later? Uh, like, I was, it just felt like all the notes of this character is put here for you to like are just in my face as soon as we were introduced to her. So it's kind of hard to take her seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she is, of the principal characters so far, she's the most two-dimensional. Hmm. She's She's not, like... There's nothing surprising about her. There's nothing particularly interesting about her. She's just like, oh, th this is the hardened veteran turned politician who's not happy being a politician that we've read in, you know, 50 books before. You know, and, and even when it's, when the narrative tries to set her up as surprising, like when, when she asks Shara, you know, for a new posting, she's like, if I help you, I, I want to get transferred to this, like, super out-of-the-way little tropical island. And, yes. and Char is like, oh, that's so surprising. I thought you would have been bought. And it's like, but to anybody who knows this character trope, <laughs> you knew exactly what she was going to say. Yeah. You know. Yep, yep, yep. All right. That's, that's really everything I have to say about Mulagesh. Anything about Vol? I just have one question about him, and it's a stupid small miscellaneous thing, I promise. But why is he calling Shara my little battle axe? Was there something I missed? Surely there's not something uh, to start calling one just because you lost a strategy game in a spectacular fashion. I don't get the origin of that nickname. You know, I I think it was just because she was dealing with him with all the blunt subtlety of a battle axe. And that was just like what he came up with on the spot. I don't buy it. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to say that because it sounds like I... Uh, I like this book. <laughs> I don't know why all this negativity is coming out of my face. <laughs> I'm done with characters. Miscellaneous predictions? Uh, uh, I still... I want to talk about Pitri a little bit. Okay, Pitri. Okay. I didn't really write down anything about him. Go ahead. I want more of him. I wanted Same. him to be... That's why I didn't write a, down anything. Go ahead. I wanted him to be a main character. Like, I... I got that one point of view from him, and I was like, "This guy is going to be a ton of fun." He's he's a if if I were in his shoes, I would deal with that situation exactly the same. Like, 
you know, I, I he's he feels natural to me, like a guy who who's just trying to do his job, but is like in over his head and and is kind of put upon by it, and uh, and like is now getting dragged along through these ridiculous circumstances that he was never ever prepared for, but is also kind of exasperated about like what the previous circumstances were. I don't know. He's fun. I, I just, I want more of him. I want, yes, I want more of, of Petrie and I wanted, I still, I mean, I still want, but I don't think I'll see how I'm going to get it now. More of the character Chasek. Not like, I love that character, not as a person, obviously, but as one of the types of characters that I referred to earlier, the bad character who I don't like as a person, but is written wonderfully. Everything about Chasek's, viewpoint there the, the leader of the men who attacked the party was amazing i'd love this feel this effortless lens that bennett seems to write through with with chasek at that moment like the fanaticism the sheer lyricism and the amount of contempt he has it was just brilliant talk about a dramatic filter i was like "Ooh, here's oh, yeah. our principal antagonist this is gonna be awesome and then he's just thrown through a window and I can't yeah, remember if they yeah. recovered his body or not. I'm hoping not. I harbor the hope that he's still alive because I want to see more of that corrupted worldview. It's just incredible writing. And the few minutes we had with oh, him, I, again, uh, I found to be yeah, more I interesting than all the there. that I've had so far. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought he died there. I love that um, point of view of his, though. It was so cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So this was something I was going to bring up in my miscellaneous points Uh but I can bring it up here because you've already touched on it. And, and that was my expectation for the book starting off where it's like we get the Mulagesh point of view and then we get the Pitri point of view and then we get the Shara point of view. And I was like, all right, these are our three main characters. Like I've read so many fantasy books that that use this style. Hell, that's more or less the way I wrote the last book that I wrote, like three <laughs> main point of view characters. But then very quickly it became clear, no. Shara is our main point of view character and we only get little brief scenes from a wide cast of other point of view characters to provide flavoring or different perspectives on scenes that Shara can't provide and I I thought that was like a, a really cool little subversion of my expectations yeah yeah I can see that even though I want Pitry to be a main character. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who knows? You might feature more prominently in future books, for all you know. Harbor that hope. Uh, yeah. Dare to I'm, dream. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm crossing <laughs> my fingers. Um, I have nothing else about characters. Do you? Um, Vo. Vo. I guess we already talked about him. I guess I do have one uh, more thing to ask about him. Just something I didn't really buy. Um, Vo, so he's an engaged man, right? Yes. And he's alone with another young woman sitting on a bed behind closed doors when the attack on the party begins. Did I misunderstand that situation at all? I mean... Um, I, I mean, I don't think they were, like, hooking up. No, I don't think they were hooking up either. But putting aside no. the fact that no one knows about their long, romantic, and very sexual history, why is that just brushed off? I mean, no one seems to raise the question as to why they were together in a bedroom behind closed doors... During an assassination <laughs> attempt, supposed assassination attempt. Uh, I, I think there's... Don't you think that would lead to some controversy? To me, no, I, to me, there's like an implicit understanding of the kind of person he is where you're like, yeah, he's he's engaged, whatever, but like this this is like a playboy. He's a, he's a party guy. But he's... You know, like, he probably gets around. 
I mean, we've, but we've heard nothing from his fiance. Like even a hundred pages later, there's no rumors. Everyone, like, so you just like, no, I, I think she's used to it. Oh, well, that doesn't make me like him very much. <laughs> I'm not, I know, I'm not I, sure if it's I, supposed to. But I very much got the that impression that like he, when he went back to Bulakov, that he sort of engaged in this like much more scandalous lifestyle, and that's yeah. part of the image he has cultivated for himself yeah, I, I, like he's he's purposely being the dramatic you know uh spark point outrageous character who's offending sensibilities left and right yeah i guess the only the, the only reason i was i was wondering is because i had like during the moment when the attack started and that was i mean that was amazing we need to talk about that later um oh yeah <laughs> I was thinking to myself, oh, crap, now there's going to be another layer of politics in this woman wanting to, you know, this fiancé of his wanting to uh, to figure out what the hell was going on behind closed doors and why are you uh, why are you meeting this woman? Who is she? And then she's going to start investigating Shara a little bit more. And I like I thought that's where it was going. But no, it's just everyone just seems to brush it off. Like, yeah, that's just what he does. And I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. Okay, all right, whatever. Just had to voice that, though, and ask what you thought. No, I, uh, that was just my impression of it. You may be right. It, it, maybe there's going to be another like layer of intrigue. Oh, God, I hope not. Second half of the book. <laughs> I have enough intrigue. But... I want to see more action. <laughs> but I am also a very simple reader at times. You know, that's not everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I, I didn't get the impression that that was supposed to be a major conflict point or anything like that. I, it's the, also the kind of reader I am. I'm always looking for the next twist. Maybe that, that's why I ruin books myself a lot of the time. You know, I'm always, I can't stop. <laughs> I can't pull myself out of it. Or I should say, I should say, I can't invest myself enough in it to really lose myself. I'm always looking for the, the, the mm-hmm. hidden clue. Well, and, and I ruin reading for myself in a different way, where I'm constantly like analyzing the writing and the structure yeah. and, and things well, like hey, that. Well, hey, that's another way you're ruining yeah. it for me as well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love doing these with you, man. I really do. Two years into Eking Out Loud. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> it's okay. The amount of excellent beers you've introduced me to and people you've introduced me to more than makes up for it. I promise. Now, well, uh, cheers to that. Hey, drink. I'll drink some of that. Ooh. Oh, 110 episodes later, boys and girls. Now, miscellaneous. This is a, a paragraph that I are, like I should say, a, a moment in the story that I referred to earlier with Ephraim. And I have the quote here. Ephraim was always fascinated by what people did with their, with their hands. It is how people interact with the world, he told her once. The soul might be within the eyes, but the subconscious, the matter of their behavior, that is in the hands. Watch a man's hands and you watch his heart. And perhaps he was right, for Ephraim was always touching things when he encountered some new discovery. He stroked tabletops, tapped on walls, kneaded up earth, caressed ripe fruit. For Ephraim Pangui, there was never enough of the world to experience. That, right there, in that one paragraph, I learned everything about Ephraim that I wanted to know. With those four sentences, I feel like I know this man, Ephraim, know his personality more than I even know Shara's yet. We've had her for 200 pages or more. Yeah. So. I, I mean, he does have a flair for uh, a, a, like, aesthetically pleasing character introduction. Uh, 
I, I mean, even, and not even in just introductions, but uh, expanding characters in like really stylistic ways. Uh, I I had another one highlighted that was similar during the attack, and and uh, when Shara is with Vo, uh, and it's like. Well, we are in some danger, she admits, but we just, we just need to wait. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to talk what? about this, yep. For Sigrid? What? What are you talking about? We just have to wait for him to do what he does best. Who is Sigrid? asks Vohanas. There is a horrific scream from nearby and a burst of breaking glass. Then silence. That is Sigrid. <laughs> like... Mm. That was amazing. That that was just so amazing. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> just outstanding writing. It, that was some seriously. Like I, I had chills in the moment. That's of course one of those moments where you get goosebumps, especially because he, uh, Bennett took care to actually show what happened right before that, and we know what mm-hmm. that horrific scream was, and we know already what the sound of that breaking glass was. <laughs> some ways I could see that mystery working a little better if we don't know, but there's something about the context that we did have in yeah. the scene. That worked. I loved it. That was so, that was a stroke of genius. That scene. It's like it's this weird blend of like dramatic irony and not dramatic irony because it's like it's dramatic irony in the sense that we know what happened, and technically Vo and Shara don't know what happened. But Shara, but Shara knows what happened. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, that that was great. That was very great. Oh, just, yeah, that was, that was, that whole sequence, really, that was the point where I was like, okay, I am into this. I was already intrigued, I was enjoying reading the book up to that point, but that was where I was like, you know, the the switch got flipped, and I cruised through the rest of the, you know, the selection for this week. Mm, See, this is a point where I, myself... I was going, oh, this is the Bennett I was waiting for. Oh, my God, finally. <laughs> this is good. Like, this really strongly reminds me of another scene uh, in in Shorefall, which obviously I'm not going to spoil, but it's a, it's a certain introduction to a character that's very creepy and ominous and intimidating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't, oh, I, I need more of this. Miscellaneous, continuing. Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, this might have been better suited to style, um, especially considering how it follows like so closely on the heels of a world building point that I was making. But what, like, I'm just going to quote this here: "What history they teach is strictly regulated due to the WR. The regulations sort of cripple everything they do here, and they have trouble teaching science and basic physics since for so long things here didn't function by basic physics, and in some places they still don't." Of course, thinks Shara. How do you teach people science when the local science refutes, or I should say the magic refutes, oh, the sunrise, that's what it was. The sunrise refutes science every morning. Clearly, I had a typo there. I stopped to write, that is interesting. I had never considered the consequences of society's acceptance of something like science in a world where magic exists. It's another one of those world-building things that I feel Bennett does so well. Integrating the magic with society as a whole there's bonuses and there are harmful consequences i love that side of it yeah uh the world building is 
excellent in this book. Uh, I love the weight of history to it. And honestly, this last chapter was basically just a history lesson. And I don't care. Yeah. Because it was awesome. I did love it. I loved it too, yeah. Like, it, it, it was a... It was pure telling. It was a pure info dump. But I don't care because it was it was an info dump through the characters themselves, right? Like it was flavored. It wasn't just like a, a bland narration, like massive five page, you know, uh, you know, series of paragraphs with no diet. It's like no, this is this is people talking to each other, and it's not even in the as you know, you know, like in that kind of trend. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like. It's a history lesson being given with all the, like, language that belongs to those characters. It's not just, like, a sterilized version of it. Um, and, and even, it's not even something like, you know, the Silmarillion, which I greatly enjoy, but, you know, is a, essentially a history book. Um, it, it's, it's just so much more personal and 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 fun going through it like the commentary on the insanity of of oh my gosh what was what's the name of the city uh bulikov no not not bulikov but um kol 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 oh, kolkashtan something like that dang it <laughs> um kol kolkashtan yeah yeah okay gotcha um uh, just, just the, you know, little things, um, you know, where she's talking about uh, after she finishes the, the the history lesson, then she's talking about the attackers, and she's like, they were dressed and definitely spoke like traditional Kokashtanis, and then they are silent. Sigrid belches softly. What happened? Another belch to the people, like. The little character things like that that seeds into this conversation. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes it so much more than just a history lesson info dump. Great, great writing. Ah, like that. I didn't notice that. That's good. Um, I learned a new word as I promised to always, you know, focus on and, and draw a point to to mention whenever I do stodgy, and that felt like something I should have known known already. Just means dull and uninspired. Yeah, really? I, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's a six-letter word. I feel like I've read it before. I've just never looked into it. I feel you, like I should know this. Why? absolutely have. It, it was in the Wheel of Time. Was it? I, I know. Oh, what wasn't in the Wheel of Time? That thing's three million words long. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> 4.2, I think. 4.2 million. Oh, my God. Is uh, it real? Oh, yeah, it would be. And then I think if you include New Spring, it's like 4.4. <laughs> um, what about the companion? Yeah. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Um, okay, Upon History Lost by Dof Dr. Ephraim Pangui, right before the chapter called Dead Languages. I love this, like these lore dumps here as well that we're getting. This is what I like more about Bennett's world building than any other authors. The magic being part of reality itself. This is something that we, we kind of saw played with so far in, you know, Foundryside and in Shorefall. 
um, magic being part of reality itself, more than systems like we see in the Cosmere. Like, there's this extra layer of depth and connection with basic reality and how it gets distorted in Bennett's magic. This really shines with the death of Talhavras, I think I'm pronouncing the name correctly, and the city. You know, reality itself sort of like folding and unraveling as it as he died. The stars themselves disappearing from the night sky, or at least some of the stars disappearing from the night sky, I was like, wow, that is some intimidating, staggeringly scaled stuff. I just, I love it. He's He is amazing at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I don't know. I'm, I'm just... Overall, I'm glad that we're reading this. Yes. Like, I had the Divine Cities on my list for a long time. I, I feel uh, like every, every time I brought up Foundry Cider, like Inking Out Loud, we covered it on Foundry Cider, fans of Brandon Sanderson looking for new things, like, oh, you got to read Foundry Cider. Every single time I've, I've mentioned it, I've always had people replying to me being like, Foundry Cider is good, but have you read the Divine Cities? <sighs> like, every time. And so I was like, okay, like, I got to put this on my list. I don't know when I'm going to get around to it, but eventually, you know, it, it joins the 50 other things in my <laughs> to-be-read pile that, that, you know... I'm glad I got bumped and, for it, um, yeah. Yeah, and and so it's it, it's always nice when I have one of those things that I'm looking forward to reading, but it's just buried in the TBR list, and I'm like, all right, I need an excuse to pick this one. And so, thanks to... Matthew Alexander on Patreon, uh, I had that excuse, and, and I'm enjoying it so far. Nice. Nice. But if this is so, why did the gods make us at all? And if we were meant only to labor, why give us minds? Why give us desires? Why can we not be as cattle in the field or chickens in their coops? My fathers and mothers died in bondage. I will die in bondage. My children will die in bondage. If we are but a possession of the children of the gods, why do the gods allow us to grieve? The gods are cruel, not because they make us work. They are cruel because they allow us to hope. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. I'm going to repeat that. Oh my god. That is some incredible writing. I, like... Just that right there. If you had put that on the back of the book, I'd be out about the whole trilogy there in the store. Mm. Boom. Yeah. Mm. Uh, see here, Chayshek. Already, I already said some about Chayshek. See here. Ba -ba -bum. Oh, I. What's going on with that scene? The totally not a priest of Olvos. Just like random philosophical musings. Like, if there is any particular reason for Shara's presence there, I must have totally missed it. Because that felt a bit out of place. Despite the fact that I like the old guy and I like that bit of exchange of ideas. It was uh, well written. Like, what was going on there? Did I miss something? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's just a, a big old gun hung on the mantle of the <laughs> okay, okay. fireplace. All right, all right. Fair play. <laughs> Bet, as the as the Gen Z would say, look at me go. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. For those who can't see, I just uh, dabbed. I'm not proud of it. <sighs> Oh, I have um, two predictions to make if we're done miscellaneous, but if you have any more miscellaneous, throw them at no, me. No, I was going to say my last miscellaneous is a prediction. So. Oh, okay, cool. I have two. Go ahead, make one. All right. Maybe I should go one, and then you go one, and then much, I go one. Much was made about the oddity of the world that the gods all created, you know, the continent and, and the six divine cities and, and all of that, and... 
And then Sapor was just Sapor. Seven seems to be an auspicious number to me. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I like that. <laughs> that's a very well, that's a very good way to put that. A very diplomatic and cheeky way to put that as well. Very nice. Seven is an auspicious yeah. number in fantasy, type, typically, isn't it? It is. Mm, we're sus on the Inking Out Loud podcast. Let that, let the record show. <laughs> My first prediction. Um, we've had two references now that I can remember, at least, that the claiming that the Kodge was something of an amateur scientist in his own home. Not an expert, but an amateur. I'm willing to bet that this is going to be a very important distinction later. Might not even be in this book, but I think it will be in others. Maybe. Just calling it now. Okay. Okay. And my second, and my God, I can't believe you didn't have this prediction, or if... Once you hear it, you immediately go, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. I'm willing to bet that's the case. Shara discussing Sigrid with, I can't even begin to remember who the other character oh. was. Huh? Okay, no, go ahead. I it, This actually may be a prediction that I have. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if this is going to be the one that you had. Shara, I have, I have no idea why you keep such a man on. We have trouble with the Draylings every day. They're pirates, my dear. They weren't always, yep. not while their king was still alive. Yep. Ah, yes, their dead king that they do so love to sing about. Him and their little lost prince, who will one day sail back to them. Oh, well, I yep, wonder yep, who yep. that is. Yep. 100%. 150%. I wonder who that is. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. The name yep, rhyme yep. with yep, yep. Nigrud. Yep. You know? Yep. Or Bigrud. Yep. Yes. <laughs> anyway. That is everything I have to say about the first half of the first book. I hope I didn't bitch too much because I am liking it so far. I almost no, said loving I, it. Honestly, but... you you bitched less than I expected. Really? Hey, so, what does that spit? Yeah. What does that mean? No, I'm just kidding. I'm no, with you. I thought I thought you were gonna like. I thought you were gonna hate the politics way more than you. Oh no! Did. Every bit of <laughs> politics I hated, and it makes me <laughs> rip my teeth. Every time I oh. my my eyes come across a word like uh, diplomat. Or affairs, or or in politics, or relations, my my eyes just glaze over, and it's just that's just a very subjective thing. I know there are people out there who love this stuff, who who just gobble it up. I know Drew, you do like this stuff, but yeah. uh, that's just the kind of right the reader I am. You know, I just I don't personally like it. So yeah, no, you're right. The politics makes me grip my teeth and grip the page, and I hate every word of it. But it's so much more than just the politics going on here. So I am still way on board, way on board. Yeah, so, um, shall we head into the final draft? I think we shall. Like, my God, my uh, my note file here was 3,500 words long. I honestly thought this was going to be a two-hour, maybe 220 episode. This is going way quicker than I thought. So, all right, final draft. <laughs> I might be actually about to explain why it's a lot quicker than I expected. So, last week I didn't have a final draft. It would nothing beyond water, at least, because I decided to forego alcohol consumption for a bit, and it also uh, it aligned nicely with an episode, that being Obsidio, that I didn't feel would mm -hmm. be totally appropriate to do while intoxicated. I'm happy to say that I'm continuing that streak. <laughs> I haven't had a drop of alcohol for a little over a week now. I know that wouldn't be a particularly big deal for like 99% of people listening, but trust me when I say I really needed to take a break. You know, I mean... This past yeah. week has been wonderful. Constant nausea, headaches, massively spiked anxiety, inability to sleep, constantly sweating for no reason. All of the greatest hits of alcohol withdrawal. <laughs> so 
one week ago, you know, or I should say one week in, plenty more to go, and to fill that liquor-shaped hole in my life, I have been consuming copious amounts of regular drinks. And on the subject of regular drinks, did you know that straight-up orange juice without any vodka or rum is even more delicious? <laughs> it's even more delicious. That's what I'm drinking tonight. Oh, Just man. plain old orange juice without pulp. Yeah, I dabbled a bit with pulp, you know, after becoming an adult and deciding I'm not a child anymore. And there's really nothing wrong with it. I knew that. But recently, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I've discovered there really isn't much of a difference between some pulp and literally enough pulp to chew and choke on. So I've, I've foregone <laughs> pulp once again. I'm just sipping on straight up juice of the orange because who wants to risk scurvy in 2021? I don't need that on top of COVID, right? <laughs> Not this guy. So that's what I'm drinking. Oh uh, orange juice. <laughs> that's it. And I'm going to chug I, I have to say, I prefer if I'm just drinking orange juice, I prefer pulp. But if I'm mixing it, I prefer no pulp. Oh, yeah. For me, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's like if I buy some pulp or full pulp, it's the same thing. It's just so much pulp. Even some pulp. They're lying well, when they gotta, put some pulp. They it. lie. Yeah, shake it. No, no, no. They lie. That's the thing. You shake it, it gets worse. <laughs> anyway, that's my, that's my obnoxious hot take for the day. I'm just drinking regular orange juice. Okay. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. I don't remember the brand, but it's good. Well, I am drinking a beer. Uh, much to the surprise of all of our listeners, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, this is a barrel-aged Belgian quadruple ale from wow. River North Brewing Company in Denver, Repeat Colorado. Repeat brewery, definitely nice. Yes, indeed. And uh, I can't remember if I brought on a Vicennial or a Decennial. Um, I think I did a Shadow Man for uh, Stormfront. Hmm. Uh, but either way, every year River North releases four specialty beers, uh, and and in the uh, in the even years it is the decennial series, and in the odd years it is the bicennial series, and uh, and this is one of those four. They are specifically made to age a long time. I think they say, yeah, on the bottle it says age for up to one decade. Uh, this beer, wow. I did not age for a decade, but I did age for three years. Uh, this is a 2018 vintage. Uh, 16.0% alcohol. Oh my goodness. Yep. I feel like I'm getting hangover by proxy. It is, I gotta say, like, a barrel-aged Belgian quad, like, brown sugar and licorice. Like, that is what this tastes like. It is boozy brown sugar and licorice. Hmm. It is. It's pretty good. It's not my favorite style, but this is one of my favorites within the style. But of course, more importantly than than the uh, you know the flavor and the details, the name. Oh God! Here you go. Is called God Complex. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yep. That's about your standard. That's exactly what I expected. Well played, good sir. A gentleman and a scholar you are. <laughs> so, uh, I think that brings us to the end of episode 110. How is it so short? I swear to God, I thought this was going to be well over two hours. We, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm worried I'm that I... am not going to lie. I'm worried that I missed I half my thrilled. points, but it looks like I got everything. <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of relaxing to only do an hour and ten-ish minute episode rather than a 
three-hour episode like right. with Stormlight. <laughs> or a two-and-a-half-hour episode like some of those last Black Company ones. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, or even even Illuminate. We did some long Illuminate. Yes, episodes. we did. <laughs> uh, yeah, so next up we will be finishing City of Stairs. We'll be doing Chapter 10 through the end of the book. As always, uh, consider sh- uh, supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, all of our Patreon proceeds go directly to the support of the show rather than into our pockets. Uh, we, we always want to pay our sound engineer and our artist. Uh, they do extremely valuable work for us and make sure that the show keeps going and, and hitting that kind of high level of quality that we're always looking for. So check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here and excited. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>